0: Hello, ski racing fans, and welcome to the American Downhiller Podcast, Season 2, Episode 10. I'm two time Olympian Doug Lewis, and with me is World Championship medalist AJ Kitt, World Champion Darren Rolves, and unfortunately, Marco Sullivan is on the road teaching some American downhillers how to go fast. So, Aspen World Cups were exciting and fun, and although we did not see an American downhiller on the podium, We did see some excitement from the back of the pack. In Super G, a couple of Americans ended up in the top 15. Our guest today is one of those racers. He scored his best ever Super G result with a 14th place starting, get this, 52nd. He's on the B team from Woodside, California, the 2016 World Junior Champion in downhill, raced for the Panthers, in Middlebury College, a 2023 member of the World Championship team. Please welcome Eric Arvidsson. Eric, where are you now? And did you get to ski today?
1: Uh, I'm in San Francisco, California, and I did not get to ski today. <laughs> uh, no, Not a lot of snow around here, but it is raining very hard. So uh, they're gonna get a bunch more snow in Tahoe, but I know uh, it's been nice to have a few days off of out of ski boots.
0: Well, we got to jump into Aspen. AJ was there. He'll probably tell us what he thought about your run, but talk about that Super G run. It was a long time waiting up there. Take us down the course. And did you feel fast? I'm getting pretty used to
1: starting, uh, you know, a few hours after the race has started now. It's been like, this was my, I guess, sort of almost second full season on the World Cup. So hopefully that's coming to an end soon. But uh, at this point, that feels like the norm to me. So Um, It actually went pretty quickly because they they shortened the intervals because of the incoming storm. So it wasn't too bad. Um, But yeah, no, I I, I definitely was um, happy with my run. Um, There were certainly things I could have done better, um, but I've been kind of on the line of too aggressive um, this year in Super G, making a lot of big mistakes and going out and just like not really skiing within myself. So I think I did a better job of finding that line in this race. and it, it feels a little bit better thinking, oh, I could have been a little cleaner on that turn or been a little cleaner on that turn because I've had a lot, a lot of races where I've gone to the bottom and just been like, holy, like, what did I just do? I just like went through four panels here and like it was just been a, was a mess. So, um that felt good. Um and then, yeah, it felt it felt good to see the the place when I, when I crossed the finish line and see the distance from the lead. Um, I think, uh, there was clearly like some, some good fortunes with the wind on the top flat. Uh, so I managed to go into the, into Aztec with like a lead over Odermott, which was, which was nice. Um, but then, you know, you still got to ski well the rest of the way. So I was glad I took advantage of the opportunity, um, and, that yeah, was just fun to ski. It was really, it's like, it's a great super G hill, uh, downhill. I think they need to do some work to make it a little bit more difficult for the, in the next coming years, if they keep going back there. Um, but for super G it's like, you got that quick 15, 20 seconds and then it's like pretty full on. So, yeah.
2: you know, in, in all fairness, I mean, I was there and yeah, the conditions between the start and the top of Aztec became a little bit more favorable at the end, but there's a lot of skiing and a lot of opportunity to just give away that that advantage. Um, so you had to ski well to finish well on that hill. So don't, um, don't give anything away from uh, what you were able to pull off and, and a few others as well. But what, you know, what I wanna hear about is, I think it was uh straw pile. So going off a of summer road into straw pile, there was a bit of a, a screwy l- like exchange that yeah. if you didn't time it right, you really dumped a lot of speed, and we saw Kilda get really wide and he lost the race there. Yeah, I mean, were you getting the word up there at that point because a lot of guys really blew it? And then towards the end, everybody nailed it. So, what was going on with that?
1: Yeah, um, I saw that on TV, like leading up to the to when I went. Um, and it was actually funny. I told our coaches down there in inspection that the downhill set from the only other time I've raced on that hill in speed. Uh, at noram finals in 2016 was very similar it was like a a delay into a single gate like a, a right foot delay into a single gate after uh the pitch and if you switched like a second before you wanted to or you thought like was early enough you could just like lace that bottom pitch so i told scotty and randy who were down there that it reminded me of that and then we watched pretty quickly that guys were staying on the right ski too long and like going far to the left. So, um, I actually took, took, a remi- reminded myself of that race seven years ago and put it in my toolbox and used That's good. it good. So I like, yeah, it was good
2: to see. And it felt,
1: felt good to like execute
2: that. Yeah. Good for you for, for being able to adapt. That's yeah. the challenge of super G is be able to adapt like speed with the set. And you don't really know because there's no training or you don't know the speed. And it's really, it's almost you know sometimes it's a bit of a gamble with especially for the early guys.
1: Yeah, and that's definitely honestly uh, the reason I feel like I've been um, slower to to adapt to World Cup and Super G is that reason. Like I uh, in downhill I I'm good at going through the week and ex- executing on race day and and like messing up first training run and getting ready for it on race day, but that's been a huge challenge and. Uh, I got to figure that out this summer, like in training, how I can prepare better for starting the Super G race season off hotter. But um, but yeah, that, it, so it felt good after a season of struggling to like execute at least. I mean, I had one other good Super G race this year, but yeah.
3: You know, my experience too, it took a little while to try and like adapt that speed and have that good anticipation for like those kind of like sections. And so if you feel like um, you need to get more, super G training in like a little more focus of that with a lot of train aspects and just have like uh high speed sections going to more technical sections. Is that something you guys, I mean, that could help, you know, like where you got like a long kind of like slow drawn out turn tempo and there's something a lot quicker where the yeah. speeds are fast. And, uh, I think that, you know, I hope that you guys kind of like through the summer in your prep period start running a lot of like GS, even like really fast GS would be yeah. something good to like help out, um, those kind of anticipation skills
1: yeah i totally agree i think that we can do a better job of like difficult sets through terrain in the prep period um like changing the course set more often in super g in in the summer um i mean i remember one time in norway last spring we literally this might have been because of ski testing but we basically did two days in a row where the course set was exactly the same in super g which is like it doesn't help you know uh it's like everyone can figure out how to ski a course after five six times but like that's not what super G is about so um i think that i struggle in like technical terrain sections not necessarily like big jumps and stuff but like through the chas and downhill and val Gardena. like i just struggle with keeping the momentum going same in super g like um when there's so yeah we, we need to work on that and uh hopefully that's I mean, we've, I've spoken to that, to the coaching staff. So, um, I don't know. And then I think the last two, like last year in our chili chips trips, we were like 50, 50 downhill and super G training. And I think personally, it should be have more heavily weighted on super G just because downhill training, you know, the courses are so specific on world cup and, um, um, you're, you get training rounds. So I think, uh, it's easier to like get up to speed there, um, so yeah, we'll see. Definitely thoughts. And, and then on the GS side, uh, yeah, that's that's gonna happen. But uh personally for me, like it's it's maybe everyone on our team has different needs. Like I um I the technical sections are always like my forte in G in uh in speed, so down so in, in downhill particularly. So um I think for me to execute in, in super G on the first try, I need like more challenging super g training with what you said like easy sections into hard sections into tough terrain, tough turns over terrain because like in cortina this year we had two races in a row that were just like really hardcore sets and like you needed to be right you needed to like have an idea of how it was going to go and even after watching 50 guys you still haven't skied through it so you kind of have an idea but then it's going to look different when you're skiing it so Uh, These are all
0: thoughts. I appreciate hearing your, your, your input too. Darren, what other things did you look out during inspection that gave you the edge that Eric could learn from?
3: Well, I mean, I was a fan of really inspecting these courses, like taking all the time I could and and really picking it apart. And I think a, a great thing for terrain, inspecting is like, I would like lay down, like just like, you know, lay down my hip and just like get my eyes as low as I possibly could to the snow to really see kind of like where the terrain is like dropping off. I mean, one for speed, how to kind of like maybe just like uh, maximize that gravity pole, just like looking for any bit of terrain where I could kind of like gain an advantage, but also just like what um, is going to be the ideal line as far as pressuring the ski, where to pressure it really hard and where to ease up a little bit, because I mean, you want to keep that snow contact. You want to be like um pressuring the right places. And I think like uh, just getting that lower perspective helped me out quite a bit. You know, just seeing all that terrain, um, and that's what you're doing. You're you're skiing the mountain, right? Like there's a, some gates that are dictating where you're going. Especially downhill, though, you're skiing the the terrain that's out there, and and, um, and you have some direction with these these uh you know gates, bearing your left or right. But I think that's uh, something that's like really important for a speed skier. But giant slalom to me was when I was starting to. Elevate my game in speed, I was skiing really good GS. And there was a lot of focus on that. I think I would love to see the downhill speed team train more with the tech guys and vice versa. I think it's just at times you you pick um um you have a training camp or you know, certain times of the season too, you, you link up with the GS guys and get a good session in with them.
2: My experience in speed and super G is, is a little bit uh... Um, man, I don't know what to say. I, I only had a couple, maybe three top tens in my career. And so I, I was, I was struggled, but you know, my, my issue though, was I didn't DNF in super G very much. And the reason for that is because I didn't feel comfortable probably running on the ragged edge at that speed, um, which might sound a little unusual for someone that was really comfortable doing that in downhill, but it was cause probably cause I wasn't as good of a GS skier. Um, the one time I I did podium in super G man, I was barely making gates and, but I was also able to stay really clean. So I, I really believe a lot in risk and taking risk in super G, especially in training so that you can find out where your limits are, right? Find out where your limits of, of running that line really late, still staying clean, staying in the course. Um, and, uh, you know, I I mean, DNF is never a lot of fun, but I think it's a good way to find where your limits are in training. And yeah, Darren's got yeah, a big on so his <laughs> I, to I say.
3: remember that second place that you had in, in Whistler, the Super G, you are on downhill skis, one of the only guys running on downhill boards. And you were yeah. on the edge, like that hustle. Yeah. And it was so fun to watch, and that's fast. When you're on that yeah. line, you're hustling to just stay in it. And you were just, I mean, just cooking down that, that mountain. And, and um, I think those are the more fun runs to ski. But if you have too much time and you're sitting there, kind of waiting for something to come at you. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're giving up something, right? Training yeah. is so important to like do that. Like push yourself in training. Like, don't uh-huh. be afraid to like blow a turn. Like see what you can get away with. No,
1: you know that's a big goal
3: of mine is I think in
1: Super G training, I've too often been starting out the day like I would in downhill and, and having a first run that's whatever. And then the second run's great. So I need to, once I'm up to speed after like the first camp, maybe I really need to start regardless of the course set, regardless of the hill, like, you know, not risking it and putting myself in a place to get hurt, but like finding the limit on the line and uh, being confident with that. So it transferred to race day. What about you, Doug? Did they even have super G in your
0: day? Uh, I I was part of the transition. (laughs) I was, I was part of the transition. I ran the first couple super G's in 1983. Uh, There was no super G skis. There was no super G points um so when i got my my first top 10 in super g was in uh super g in ferrano japan and i got like i don't know four points but they were not super g points so i had four gs points so i got to the nationals and i was in the first seed in gs just because of this super g so it was like phil mayer doug lewis steve mayer i was like i do not belong here. But um, it was pretty, pretty exciting to be on the cutting edge of this, this discipline that no one knew about. And it has transformed into something awesome. Back when I ran it, it was either a GS or a downhill. Now it's now it's its own thing.
3: Did they use how about about Alberto Tomba? I remember his mom wouldn't let him run race super G, right? No, Alberto, it's too dangerous. (laughs) You can't run super G. That was what we heard on the tour.
0: I have a question for Eric. Um, Maybe it's the same question. There's two questions. Who do you think you ski like and who do you watch on video?
1: I don't think I I ski like this person, but I try to ski like this person. Uh, And that's Ryan. Um, Ryan was like on his highest level when I first started racing World Cup. And um, I think actually a lot of people were watching him at that time. And I continue to watch him, even though, you know, he's been having a tougher year, but like what he can do, uh, in technical sections is just like pretty, pretty hard to match. Um, and then another guy, uh, who I think I ski more like, uh, is Matthias Meyer, but he's done now, but, uh, Matthias Meyer was the guy who we're on the same equipment. Um, you know, he's pretty similar technically, like he was pretty good, but not like Creek Meyer st- status. He's like a ski school expert. So, um, he had a little bit more loose looseness to him. So I used to always watch Matias Meyer, um, just cause I liked his approach. Um, so I've been a little bit like this year, I guess I've been lacking being able to watch him, which has been, been funny, but, uh, I don't know. I still have Vincent Creek Meyer to watch. He's, he's pretty good too. And on the same equipment. So, um, but yeah, but then Ryan is, Ryan is like I had a big breakthrough in my uh, technique, like two years ago, and i I exp- and I, it's something that I learned from watching Ryan, and then I explained it to him, and he was like, "I've never thought about that in my whole life, but <laughs> I just thought I just like thought it made sense in my head, and it helped me a lot with uh, with my skis. At the top of the turn, like, making sure that my inside ankle is feels like it's underneath me. So that means that like my skis are actually up on edge. Like I think it's really easy to move only over the outside ski. And then you have this inside ski that's kind of just like here. But if I made made it feel like I had both of my skis up on edge at the top of the turn and like pinched over on the outside, um, I just like, especially on world, like this was something that clicked when I came to world cup in the, it's a lot bumpier. It's a lot steeper. It's a lot more technically demanding, and it just made me feel like I, my skis were staying, you know, on the snow, grounded, connected, and I was never getting into this like hectic place all the time. And I thought Ryan did just such a good job of like he might almost I think he's almost talked to me before about like keeping his skis behind him, you know, but that was my way of thinking about it. Um, so yeah. So you you think about like
3: pulling your inside foot back a little bit? Yeah, or, a little bit. I mean, for me, like, Very, I totally agree with that.
1: And, like, and turning my, like, getting my femur and my hip, like, really up over the outside. It's kind of hard to do here yep. at a
0: desk. Hey, Doug Lewis here. If you've ever dreamed of traveling to Vengen or Kitzbühel to watch the classic World Cup downhills, then the ADL Ski Club is for you. Their small group trips are geared for passionate skiers and race fans. They take you to the heart of ski racing's biggest races at the Loverhorn, hanenkam and Night Slalom in Schlodming. This year, American downhiller AJ Kidd is leading the group to kids' and they have a ton of special access to the races, parties, and athletes that make this World Cup unique among all professional sports. Even though this year's trips are both sold out, now, right now is the perfect time to get your name on the list for next year's trips. Visit ADLSkiClub.com. That's ADLSkiClub.com and reach out to them to secure your spot. Rumor has it that
2: I might even be joining them for one of these trips soon. When you guys are watching video, I mean, you talk about the guys that you watch and maybe try to emulate or whatever. I mean, in in the era that we're in or entering, I think right now, what, what do you guys think about with Odermatt? I mean, are you looking at him or, or what's the collective sort of response to what he's doing or how he's skiing?
1: Yeah, I think what's, what's, what's like incredible about him is what Darren was talking about. Like there's been so many technical, technically back technical background skiers who come into downhill, come into super G on certain, on certain, in certain situations and on certain Hills and been competitive, you know, like Ted would come in and be competitive at Beaver Creek super G. He was on the podium in like a Lenser Height downhill. Uh, same with Hersher, but like, what Odermatt is able to do from coming from the GS side and be fast on gliding sections, like fast enough on gliding sections, and then just like show people uh, what he can do when it's technical is incredible. And I think it just comes back to how dialed he is um, technically. Like he, even when it's, even when it, even when it's flat, Easy. He doesn't overpower the ski. He like is so playful no matter what, all the time. And you see that in GS too. He's not Hersher, you know. In GS, he's not like laying these, he's not the like sexiest skier to watch all the time. Like, he's just always his hip is always high. He's never in a position. He's keeping the ski pressure in the fall line and just like floating his way down the hill. And then I think that transfers to the glide turns, you know, he's not like thinking like Hersher. Oh God, how can I like be as subtle as possible? Because that's essentially how he skis GS already. So, um, I don't know. It's incredible to watch. And I have to admit that it's all, it's all, it's almost so incredible that it's hard to watch on video. And like, we, we say this a little bit, um, like when you're, you there's certain things you can learn from, from him and from Alex, from Kilda. um but also they're like such prodigies, and sometimes you have to like look at something that's a little bit more like attainable feeling. Which yeah. that's why Matthias Meyer was important for me because I looked at him and I was like, okay, you're really he's really good, but everything he does to me is like I can like look at Odermatt and Kilda for like the mentality and the logical like certain things, but Matthias Meyer or um, um, who else, um, sort of like Dressin Ryan. These are guys that I'm like, okay, like I didn't, it took me a few world cups to, to get into the top 10 or top 15. Like I didn't just, you know, win five medals at world juniors, like Odermatt, like this is where I'm at. And this is, this is what I got to figure out. So,
2: well, I I have to say the same thing. I mean, I I'm watching ski racing all the time and analyzing it. And, and I mean, I'm, my son is, in it right now too. So I'm constantly analyzing. Yeah, It's hard to analyze Mac because he just does so many intangible things. Like he's got such incredible finesse and there's so many things that you can't just like look at and go, here, do this. You know what I mean? You, you know, it's happening, but you're not quite sure how. And yeah. So yeah, I agree with you. It's like, it's awesome. really fun to watch, but it, I, I'm not sure you could realistically emulate a lot of what he's doing. Yeah. I want to talk about your path to the American downhiller. It's a little different
0: than most for sure, four years at uh, Middlebury is different, but can you take us, let's step by step through your journey, talk about being a U16, and growing up, I guess, in Tahoe, and were you a tech wizard, tell us about your younger years, and what kind of skier you were,
1: um, yeah, I mean, I kind of fell into ski racing, like, very randomly, but, uh, I grew up in the Bay Area, um, and, like, outside of San Francisco, and, um, my my dad was a swimmer uh, uh, at a high level and my mom um, wasn't an athlete, but they were like recreational skiers like a lot of people in the Bay Area. Um, and we had a cabin at a little ski area in the central Sierras uh, called Bear Valley, which was really lucky because that's where the Rasmussen family's is from. Um, and they started the mountain in the 60s. So like there's a pretty rich ski racing history there and they're really proud of, they used to host some pro races and they hosted like uh, nationals in like the like late 60s or something crazy, like early when they opened the mountain. So anyways, I grew up, like I remember my parents told me a story that I came home from like my 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 like recreational ski team day when I was eight years old and uh, I was like, oh, I got to ski with some guy named Kyle today. And they, and my dad like was an athlete and and he's Swedish. So he grew up like watching Stenmark on TV and in elementary school, you know? So he was like, okay, like this is, this this guy was pretty legit. Like, um, yeah, told me really, you know, what was going on there and who, who that was. And, uh, that's just like lit a fire in me. Like, I just, I just absolutely love being on skis and I just had some really formative coaches, um, mark phillips just a local guy in bear valley who's like license plate was arc to arc and he would always like just was so like i don't know just from a young age like look at look at those railroad tracks just like darren was saying like try to do that and uh so yeah they were just i just was really formative and and kyle's brothers um jeff and greg were coaches at the team on the team at the time and then um i lucked out and uh John Cashman and Keely Cashman came over to Bear Valley from Dodge Ridge, which is a ski area like an hour hour away, when I was like eleven. And uh, John raced at a pretty high level. He's still coaching now. Keely's obviously on the national team. Um, So I just like the timing was perfect. And uh, John, you know, just would it was only a weekend program, but John would arrange training for us on Fridays before races or whatnot, and like showed us what's possible. And then I think huge factor was. In our team room, we had World Cup bibs hanging up from Kyle, and we had old posters of Kyle. And uh for me, it was just like just such a living legend. Um, and uh uh like there's this this one that that's imprinted in my head that's like Kyle Rasmussen wins Vangen on ProLink, which I guess was some sort of Solomon technology of the era. Uh, but it was like just this sick picture and uh just like. So so important to me. So yeah, anyways, then um I skied there and then uh when when I joined when I started uh J three, so U 16, which was J3 at the time, um I moved over to Palisades, um Palisades Tahoe in Tahoe, and uh raced there so I could train during the weeks. And then John and, and Keely came, followed us the year after, and they've been uh John's been coaching there ever since essentially. So Um, we kind of came over to the top to Tahoe and, um, fell into the culture there, which had so many guys on the national team at the time. Like there were, I mean, it was crazy. Uh, uh, Marco, um, Nick Daniels, Keith Moffat, uh, Bryce, Forrest Peterson, Julian Mancuso, these were all like it was. I remember doing the math one time, but it was like a quarter of the team was from the the Palisades Tahoe ski team. So that was was also huge, you know, to fall into that culture and uh, just lucked out with so many amazing coaches and role models. And and Darren was around. I'll never forget Darren. I tell people this all the time, but I met you one time at like J Three JOs, and then we were in Full Belly Deli, uh, like the the next year, like fourteen months to Deli and Truckee, and Darren. Called me by by my name and i thought that was incredible because like when that ski racing thing was starting you know my dad would like uh i my dad would like every anytime ski racing was on tv he would just like put me in front of the tv and be like there's a world cup race on tv like and that was darren and bodie and um i was a little too too young to watch uh you two aj and doug on tv but like (laughs) watching you guys at your peak was just like so fun and and so cool and so inspirational and so yeah anyways that that's the story and i'm just my dad being an athlete and my dad also being swedish i think helped like alpine skiing is at least slalom is like a big sport so he was like familiar with it and willing to take to, to make the sacrifices um for me to spend more time in tahoe and like i lived up there through high school and whatnot which wasn't easy being from from like the suburbs um of of the bay area so uh yeah and i I was like a slalom guy that was definitely my best event all the way until um i was on the national team honestly and then i just got some better training and got some better skis and won a super g noram and then like the rest is history sort of but
2: yeah and was that before you went to middlebury
1: that was before I went to Middlebury. Yeah.
2: So uh, what 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 was it about being at Middlebury and, and joining the Middlebury uh, downhill program that helped you get back to the ski team and come to the World Cup as a <laughs> Uh
1: That was more of a mental, uh, a mental realization. Like I, uh, I don't know. It's just like, essentially my world got too small. Like I was just, I made the team right after high school when I was 18 and I was just like on this track and Uh, then the results got a little bit harder and, uh, things weren't as easy and, uh, like I was just skiing and I just like, had like kind of lost touch with the rest of my life. And, um, college was always like a, a a note of like a, uh, something I was going to do at some point. So, um, I just needed to step away from like the pursuit for a little bit to, appreciate how cool and special and fun it was and like cultivate the other parts of my life so I could like come back with a the right mindset the right mindset and the right approach um and the right appreciation for it i, I yeah it's kind of a, a short uh, like a short shorter way to say it but that's like the truth
3: yeah well eric i mean you were a junior world champ in downhill and I remember, like, uh, I do remember that day we met on KT at that race. So that was really cool. Um, I, remember, yeah, I remember that, you know, I think we rode the chair together or, you know, people are calling you out, your name and this and that. And like, oh, this kid's having fun and going fast. And and you see, you definitely have the impression on me. But um, and I do have that same poster of Kyle on those ProLink Solomons. Yes. And he was a guy like, I mean, I wanted a poster of these guys, with Mo and AJ and Rass and, and yeah. like, can you sign a poster for me? He's like, you want me to sign? like as a teammate, right? And he's like, why do you want a poster of me? I'm like, well, cause you want man banging and fit feel. And he's like, you just sitting there kind of blank. He's like, what do I say? I'm like, I don't know. AJ said you're the man. And so Kyle was like, you're almost the man. Like, you know, Rass. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but he's always trying to bust, you know, bust some balls. But, um, yeah, that, that's really surprising about your path to your career. I mean, you were just coming up. Uh, you just won Junior Worlds in downhill. We had an event there in Aspen that you came to. And um, then, like, a year or two later, you're off. You know, you're not skiing. You're not racing anymore. And I think it was good. That you found I yourself. And, I was still
1: skiing. I was still racing. I never stopped. But like you kind of,
3: <laughs> but actually you went more tech, I think, didn't you yeah, go yeah. back to tech and you started, yeah, you stopped racing. I was, a, I was
1: racing in college. So I was, yeah, yeah.
3: Okay. Being like, well,
1: you know. but not, but you're yeah, right. You went, you I'm went racing. to that, uh, yeah,
3: yeah. Middlebury, uh, downhill program like, like AJ was saying, but, um, like that was a big surprise for me. That you just kind of walked away from the speed side and I was hoping that you would, you'd find yourself and, and come back to it and, and look where you are now. So, Way to, you know, persevere and, and stick with it, and, and technical skills are so important. Continue to do that, but, you know, we know downhill is way cooler, so we Thank keep you. being an American downhiller, man. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Hey, Doug Lewis here, and I want to talk about the American Downhiller Speed Camp. American Downhiller is the leader in teaching young ski racers how to go fast and have fun. 2023 will mark the sixth annual American Downhiller Speed Skills Camp in Mammoth Mountain. Our speed camp is coached exclusively by current and former World Cup racers and coaches who are passionate about helping the next generation of athletes achieve their dreams. We specifically focus on aerodynamics, jumping technique, speed tactics, and the mental training required to safely navigate Super G and downhill race courses. If you are a ski racer who wants to go fast, check out our website, americandownhiller.com, for
3: all specific camp dates.
2: i want to know a little bit more about what college and i'm not saying more about necessarily about the you know the maturity and 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 finding yourself and all that but what what it what was it about the college like sort of racing program and culture and whatever that allowed you to come back i mean you know it's common thinking now that if you're not you know if you're not showing your stuff by 18 or 19 you're just never going to make it right i mean to, to some degree the ski team has a you know, an, an age adjusted uh, value on your speed. If you're not fast at a certain age, then, then they're not going to invest in you. And that's, I think that's what a lot of us around the country feel like. Maybe that's not the ski team's intention, but that's kind of how it feels to a lot of people. But then coming back at, you know, after being at, in college and, and then at age, and then, you know, of course, the stories of multiple people doing this, uh, Paula Molson and, um, and AJ Guinness. And then, I mean, it's it's on and on with the Europeans too. So what is it about that NCAA path that allows people to come back and, and, and come to the world cup and be successful?
1: Um, I've had some conversations with some of the other people. So it's, it's hard to speak like broad, but although it's hard to speak broadly, but for me personally, it was a few things. When I was on the ski team, when I was like 18, 19, 20, I felt so much, like pressure, which honestly, I didn't really get from my coaches to like be something or be someone. And honestly, probably Darren, like you were saying, you wrote a glyph with me and other people were talking about me. Like, I thought I like, there was some aspect of it that was like, I don't think I understood how, how far the journey was to get to the world cup level and to get to that level. And then I felt so much pressure just to like perform. And I remember being at a Noram and like in uh, Mont St. Anne and, and Marco Odermott came over with the junior Swiss team and like one out of nowhere. And I was like, freaking 50th. I couldn't buy a term. And I just, my response was not like, okay, what can I learn from this guy? How can I get better? How can I get there? It was like, he's younger than me. I, I should be doing this. I suck. Why not? Blah. Like it was just, I just didn't understand. And so getting to go to college, take the pressure off a little bit, actually allowed me to work on my skiing and uh i had a really good coach uh named baron brunner the year before i went to college mm. who was who coaches the german tech team now um he's an austrian guy and, and he like i just learned from on a on a tech from a technical standpoint like what was re- what was going to be required for world cup how where my hip needed to be you know i couldn't be just like going and blowing through gates and sitting on my ass like if i was going to be racing kids people and taking the pressure off and and allowing myself to genuinely focus on my, my like improvement day in and day out was a huge part. Uh, And then the last thing was I learned how to perform in races, like racing for your team and not like, okay. When I came to Middlebury, like I was the best guy on the team. So, and, and I felt like a ton of like, I wanted to be there for them. And I wanted to be there for my team. And I wanted us to win races. I wanted us to win, um, you know, go to NCAAs, be on the podium as a team, you know? And like, that was a constraint that I was under. And if I didn't perform, like I was so goddamn pissed off for, for them, it was like more, I couldn't like cheat, you know, I couldn't give it away for myself. So, and then, uh, so it taught me to perform day in and day out. And then, on the East, the the way the schedule is, you know, it's like, it's, you race Friday, Saturday every weekend. So then Friday, Saturday, go home, train Friday, Saturday, which is like, it is in the world cup, but you know, when you're at a younger level, you like often like go race, like 10 races in a row and then you go home and blah and blah. So like the schedule allowed me to, to race, see how it went, go home, get a few days of training, make a good plan, go back to the race, test it out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think I learned a ton about how to perform and how to get the most out of myself every weekend um that i use to this day now like 100 percent um so yeah that's kind of that's kind of my answer the the,
2: the thing the thing i heard that's that really sticks with me and it's the most impressive thing is that you your mindset shifted that you're not there for yourself as much as you're there for your teammates but you still have to perform at a really high level and so many athletes today on race day get locked up and they have performance anxiety because of the what if I ski well, what if I perform well, what will that mean for me? And, the, and it changes a lot when that what if is about if it's some, for someone else. And I think that maybe can unlock your, your, your brain a little bit of the focus and focus on you know, the performance side of things rather than the, the, the what if I ski well, right? Um, But that, that's, that's really, it's an impressive thing. And if you can carry that mindset back out to the world cup on the, when it is all about what me, if I do well, rather than my team, um, that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting thing to think about.
1: And the best way to contribute to your team is to do well yourself win. you know, so it, I didn't, it's, it's like, it, it was the right balance. And now I think I, I don't know, I just try to, I just, I just enjoy the racing. The other thing I will say about college was like, skiing went from being, you know, the, my day every day from 18 to 20, when I was out of high school, out of blah. And then like, I enjoyed going to college, but when you get up in the morning and you get to go ski for three hours, and then you're sitting in class for the rest of the afternoon, like skiing was by far the best part of the day. Uh, and so for better or for worse, I kind of like, you know, like forgot about that aspect of skiing and ski racing. And now it's something i like cherish because um i just just feel so lucky to be doing this like uh i don't envy my college classmates or teammates who are i love you guys but i don't envy uh your day jobs and i feel just so lucky to be getting to do this so
2: you'll have a day job one day buddy <laughs> I, will, I will i will
3: one day but i'm totally fine <laughs> delaying it for like 10 years what really elevated my performance as an athlete was like always competing like a hundred percent on training days, bring the intensity up. And I knew if I had a fast run that day with Bodie, especially there, that it was fast enough to compete with the rest of the, of the world.
1: No, for me, it's similar. Like I've, I bet, I think I bet Bryce $10 on the first run of GS training, like five days in a row this winter. And I lost actually every single one. which uh, I was not very happy about, but, uh, uh, that was motivating. And I definitely plan to keep doing that. And I, one of my g- career goals is to get Ryan to agree to a bet in training once, uh, he has not, he has yet to do so. Um, so you guys can, uh, urge him to do that. It, I don't know if he doesn't like don't it. Don't let him
3: back down, man. Don't so let him back down.
1: He hasn't agreed to that yet, but, uh, no, I, I love competing in training and I like, I'm a big, I've learned a lot from, like especially in speed when there's sometimes such a discrepancy between what you feel and uh what the the clock says sometimes you know like keeping being really aware of the of the timer and like the guys you're racing against is just so important because like um yeah it's just uh, like you can't never what you see and what the timer says is sometimes different and especially at least for me it's been that way so like um competing is huge I think I need to bet some more first runs of super G like that's where I've been lacking (laughs) or like put the pressure on myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like one of my big goals and like, one of the things I can contribute to like our group is that aspect. Like, I think I carry that away from college because it was so important that not just one of us was fast and that like six of us were fast. Um, and I tried to, to like um, push those guys, and like that's some, and it worked. we got we went from like my first year at Millbury um we were like we were we were we were struggling, and then my junior year we won uh two out of the six carnivals, I think, anyways, which was great. like as a team, that was a cool thing to do, and that was just like consistent hard work across the group and um, yeah, so I guess my answer is like. I I have a similar mindset to you. Uh, I'm still working on executing it in training. Probably like you guys were at your highest level, but like, I love being competitive. I think like we were talking about with races, like performance anxiety or whatever, like the more you train that, the better you get at it. Like I like, I love racing my teammates in training. And when it goes, I give them a hug and like get mad at myself, but you move on and think it works like in, it just helps. You know, like, yeah.
0: Doug Lewis here. If you are a U12, U14, or U16, elite team fitness camps are for you. This is not your average fitness camp as we teach the vital skills of sports psychology and sports nutrition, along with tough, challenging workouts. You will leave camp with more power, strength, and agility with a deeper understanding about nutrition and with the mental skills of confidence, focus, and pushing limits, which will take you to the next level. Over our 30 years, we have coached Olympic champions, World Cup stars, NCAA champions, including USGA teamers Michaela Schifrin, Lauren Masuga, Alice Meriwether, Jimmy Krupka, Grace Henderson, and Sammy Worthington. And finally, although we push our limits to the edge, we have a ton of fun. We are holding two week long sessions this July at the Killington Mountain School. Find all the info at eliteteam.com. I want to add, I'm going to go back, and I hope this is not a loaded question, Eric and AJ and Darren. <laughs> So I think we lost you from the U.S. Ski team to the NCAAs. I'm not going to take anything away from your NCAA, but is there something the U.S. Ski team could be doing mentally so we don't lose these athletes at a critical time?
1: Um, I would say yes and no. Like for me personally, I got everything I needed from the ski team from a young age. Like they were amazing and um, we had pretty good groups. And like we went through a really tough thing with the Avalanche and Solden and, 2018 but like you know we handled that pretty well and um i mean i got a lot of support and my decision to go to college was 100 percent my own like i was at a camp in Solden in october i had done the first semester in college and my coach at the time was like this is not working like go take a take a, take a break like go ski in college and when you're ready the door is always open to come back so and it, it was, like even though three years later the staff had changed, like I called up Randy and I was at Copper like within um two months. So that was incredible for me. Um, I think that one thing I've noticed that the ski team does do a little bit differently is they'll kind of pick favorites and they'll pick a guy and be like, this is our guy. Um, somewhat young. and you know that's just not how sports are. like sports are the guys who prevail are the guys who, are relentless, maybe don't have the most talent. Sometimes there's a combination of the two and and you see things like is happening with Odermatt and is happening with Michaela and uh, honestly maybe happened with Bodie, I don't know. But um, you know, for the most part, it's grinders and people who work their ass off consistently over a long time. And something that's been interesting to, for me to watch is these Canadian guys who are starting to really crush it on the World Cup. They have been the same group with the same coach since I was on the development team 2017. And in that time period, my group, and it was a lot of personal reasons as well, but whatever, it's been like boom, 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 like all over the place. Like we had actually a group, good group of guys who were performing higher at like nor well, it's similarly, but similarly at Noram's and um world juniors and stuff. And but those guys have been with John Kuchera since you know he was a former world champion but they've been with him he's been their coach from the whole time up and you know sometimes there can be some Passover and whatnot but like um I don't know we didn't have that you know when the guy did had a bad year he was out or whatever and sure they've been maybe helping some guys stay along stay in the group a little bit longer thinking you know more big picture um about like the whole holistic group and uh I think Jack, like Jack, who's like the one who's doing way better than all the other ones, right? way better, but like consistently much better. He'll tell you, like, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think he would tell you how important it is that he's hasn't just ended up alone on some private team with like three guys. And uh, I think we can do a better job of that. You know, like, I think, I don't know, this is just my opinion, but we have this GS group with like two, three guys. And then there's like these other three pretty damn good American guys who are forking up 100 grand a year to ski with Paul Epstein on global racing. And I think maybe they would be better, like if there was more of them, we don't have that issue in downhill, we have a bigger group, we have more people. Um, So yeah, that's kind of my answer.
2: (laughs) I think what you're getting at a little bit is what I firmly believe in is, is that competition breeds excellence, you know, pressure builds diamonds. And, you know, the more we can create that competitive atmosphere, whether it's a group of fast guys that are all training together and then starting to feed in more and more guys. So you've got a larger group so that you're affecting and positively impacting more people. Um, obviously chemistry is a huge part of, of any team environment, especially the ski team environment where we're all individuals at the end of the day, but we travel together, race together and, and, you know, and, and train together. Um, so there's the, the chemistry, the team environment is so important, but um, I do believe that, that uh, you know, competition, whether it's competition in training or frankly that, you know, you got a couple of people that are pretty comfortable on the A team and there's nobody pushing them. Maybe they're not skiing as fast as they would if there was a couple of guys pushing, you know.
1: And and the other thing is it takes time sometimes, you know? Like, I I think it's important to understand that sometimes these things take time. And like a lot of Americans don't come into the, and the Canadians honestly, don't come in with the same, technical background and the same technical expertise that like some of our counterparts come with. And sometimes that takes a little bit more time to teach and develop and figure out world cup. And then like, I don't know, it took me like at least like three, three years of like racing Europa cups and just racing fist races in Europe to be like, okay, like I'm used to this. And now when I race in North America, I feel weird. I'm like, this is so different. Like Everyone's so I don't know. The snow is weird and blah, blah. Like I'm honestly almost like that now. So it takes some time.
0: Totally agree. You're t- looking at AJ, Darren, and I, grinders. You know, and um, the hardest workers finally get there. And and I really think the the U.S. Ski Team could have a little bit more patience. Really start with a bigger group, as AJ says. You know, get everybody together, have that healthy, positive competition, and maybe we could have more, more and more heroes as we go on. I'm gonna switch now uh I'm looking at your results Eric Bormio Solbach Kitzbühel you like the tough races like you you do well when it's gnarly talk about uh talk about what courses you really enjoy and why
1: uh I like the race the ones I do well at (laughs) (laughs) and I think anyone would I think anyone would be wrong to tell you that they don't feel that way yeah Um, but
0: Solbach Bormio and Kitzbühel are tougher than
3: most
1: yeah, yeah. I I mean um I think with where my skiing is is at right now kind of having more of a technical background uh touch is not like my strong suit it's more power, grit and like fight and and that helps me on, you know, like Bormio and kits. Um Bormio like from my first time there I was like, oh shit, this is like I might t- it took me 3 years to figure well, it, like I think it's pretty normal but like I do like skiing that hill like I like that whatever I put into the snow I'll get it back uh no matter what and like um you got to be fit you got to like figure out the last pitch you got to make it to the bottom like <laughs> fighting the whole way and um and then I just feed off of the energy in kids feel like that I think just that's like just incredible like the racing and it's just so damn cool um but yeah I mean uh, I, I enjoy those but at the same time to be like a, to be a, to win a downhill title, to compete every weekend, which is my goal. Like I, I got to figure out how to glide better. And I got to figure out the lot long, like longer turns. Like I'm pretty damn good when the, the, the met, like the, the radius of the course is essentially like the, the max turn you could pull off on the skis which is Bormio, you know, like essentially once you get through the flyway, you're more or less edge to edge the entire way. Um, kids feel, you know, like I'm, I'm actually pretty good at the road because it's about carrying speed as opposed to like picking up speed right, right away, like out of, uh, at Val Gardena, um, Beaver Creek. Like I'm, I, I need, I need some Steven energy to get off that top pitch, like with good time, but like yeah, I like those courses, but like, I, I want to, I don't like losing and I, and I want to win. I, I want to be competitive every weekend. And like, um, urban planning our coach, like has been t- saying, I need to train on Pukenis, which is that, uh, lift at, uh, La Parva, which is like a 52nd glide track. He's like, you need 20 days there next summer. <laughs> and, and I believe it. Like I, I, I got to work on all those little things and just like, keep getting beat on there by a second every day by. Some of the the master gliders and just like start chipping away. And um I think once I add that to my toolbox, like I'm gonna be better. I'm a, I'm already a lot better than, than last year. Urban likes to call me the magic snail because I'm so <laughs> slow sometimes on flats. But in uh but in Vale, or an Aspen I actually uh blew it on the pitch rather than the the flats. I was like 19th going onto the pitch. So that was a huge uh <laughs> like diamond I was like needle like that was good like that was a that was a positive of the weekend even if the downhill race didn't go very well so uh step by step you know everyone has their things they had to work on and fortunately I have some good gliders on our team to learn from so
4: wind produces a sophisticated line of ski and snowboard waxes for use by skiers riders racers and shops The current WEND Snow Wax formulations have come from over 50 years of progressive blend reformulation and on-slope and in-lab testing. This has been in conjunction with the feedback of some of the world's top ski and snowboard athletes. Athletes who know real speed, like Kitzbühel champ, Darren Rolves, and 2019 Birds of Prey GS champion, Tommy Ford. WEND no longer sells any products containing fluorocarbon compounds and instead utilizes natural, plant-derived, and biodegradable additives that substantially increase the overall eco-friendliness of the Wend Snow Wax product line. Give them friend a follow on Instagram at Wend Waxworks and purchase your Wend products at wendperformance.com. And don't forget to use the code ADH20 for 20% off your purchase.
0: All right, last question. I'll send this to AJ and Darren, and then we'll end it with you, Eric. Uh, Eric. So Eric's primed. He has an eighth place. He just had a 14th place. You are ready to be on the podium. Uh, I want to ask AJ and Darren, what was it that, that allowed you to break through and get that first podium? Uh, if there was one thing that we could tell Eric, it's going to come, what was that thing that got you onto the podium for that first time?
2: Yeah, for me, I I mean, I remember this very well. You just got to keep banging. I mean, there's going to be setbacks. Um, I, uh, I, I had never had a podium before and, and the first race of the season, uh, Valdez And, uh, I went out there and I was third and first in the two training runs at Valdez And I'm like, I'm winning today. I'm going to go out and I'm going to win my first world cup race. And I ended up got 13th or something like that. I skied terrible. And I went the whole season without a freaking podium. I thought I was going to win a race and I never got a podium. But the next year I came around and I won the training runs again at Valdez that next year. And then I finally won a race but it's persistence. You got to keep banging. We know that the sport is separated by hundreds of a second. It's small margins and those you got to work on those margins every single day. And at every opportunity, you got to minimize the mistakes. You got to maximize your momentum at all times and just keep banging. Demand the best. I mean, don't settle from the team, your coaches, your teammates Um, just, and that was the thing that I did. And I, and I, I actually, yeah, I mean, it kind of reverberates a little bit today. I mean, I I asked a lot from the people around me, and uh, I didn't I didn't exactly walk away friends with everybody from from that experience. <laughs> and uh, and to and to this day, I, there's people out there that are probably trying to get a little bit back from me, but but it paid off for me. I mean, I was there for one reason, one reason only, that was to win. And uh, and you you know, you can ask Darren; he was around when, when I was pretty demanding of the. The, the support staff around me, the team, the coaches, the, the trainers, the, I mean, even when, you know, even the, st- the staff at the office, I mean, you got to get what you need in order to be yeah. successful and don't, don't be a, a bashful about demanding it.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And um, it is relentless work. Uh, cover all the details, set high standards. I mean, for yourself, for your, you know, uh, your team, get everybody on this momentum, Just like, every single day you're working for this one goal to get the most out of yourself. And, and uh, I, my switching point was, it was I remember being in pit Norway and I wasn't really paying attention to what Herman Meyer and Stefan Eberharder were, were doing. It was, I was locked in to my own program and so focused. And I kind of took this element of like you touched on before Eric, um, with Odermott, like he's playful, he's floating down the mountain, you know, just like I found my vibe. I found like what works for me. And I had one thought and it was like skiing as powerful as I, as I could and making speed and looking for it. And, and, uh, I was so focused and it just, it happened like naturally before that I was fourth. Um, and I had a sixth and eighth, you know, 10th on the world cup. But, um, I went from, I, or from a fourth place right to a win. And like, once you just, like once you feel what it's like and you attain that success, like, you know, you belong you approach your races differently. You don't just like hope you can do it or want to do it. You just know you can do it. And it's going back to like that Klamer film. I don't know if you saw that, Chasing the Line, but you know, Klamer did say, and we had him on a podcast this year with American Downhill, that he just knew it. You know, he knew if he put a rundown down, he was like capable of doing, it was gonna be the fastest, you know, that day. And I think that's like something that's, it's hard to get there. But once you have that confidence in yourself, it's it's all about that
0: my um first podium came at bormio on the world championships and i describe it as you know how they describe luck where luck is all about opportunity matching with hard work so AJ mentioned it, relentless hard work. Darren Mitchell, it's just keep working hard and then the opportunity comes up. And for Boromeo, for me, it was icy, it was nasty, it was rattly, and I was the underdog. And that's what it took. So just keep working hard and that opportunity is gonna come. Now, the question to you, Eric, what's one thing technically that's gonna get you there? And maybe one thing mentally that's gonna get you to that podium.
1: Uh technically skiing, um, like flowing better through terrain, uh, and like using my body to my advantage better through terrain, uh, and mentally, uh, I think not losing the hunger that I have and have had the last few years. Uh, like I I don't want to lose that until when I lose that, I'm going to be done like that, just staying on that that, 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 that drive and that like determination and just like, uh, skiing with my emotion, like skiing passionately, I think is huge for me and staying on that train. And I think I, I think I can get there and it, it means a lot. It's super fun to talk to you guys. And, uh, I just learned so much from all of you and, uh it's just, it's a blast.
0: So thanks guys. Well, thanks for listening and watching to our American Downhiller podcast. Special thanks to Eric Arvidsson, who is making steady progress on the World Cup ranks. Watch for him next year as he continues to fight to make it onto the podium of a World Cup speed race. Please spread the word about the podcast. Share with your friends, coaches, teammates, and clubs. You can find us either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And thanks to our American Downhiller sponsors, ADL Ski Club. Wend Wax, Elite Team Fitness Programs, and American Downhiller Camps. Stay tuned for more Downhiller
3: podcasts for AJ, Darren, Eric, and Marco. Thanks for listening.